Shalom, and thank you for listening to Beit Zayit Messages. If you enjoy this teaching, consider joining us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. at 465 Lee Highway in Verona, Virginia, for our morning Shabbat services. Or watch the service live stream on YouTube, Facebook, or on our website at BeitZayit.org slash live. May the Father bless you richly through the hearing of His Word. Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. We get to talk about Leviticus some more. And, uh, you know, when you go from a 12 font to a 16 font, you realize suddenly that maybe you wrote, you added too many scriptures and all that. So, sorry, slide guy, I might skip over some stuff, but we'll see. Um, so, yeah, this is the 25th Parsha. It means, uh, uh, Sav, it means to give an order or a command. And it really is focused... Uh, on the specifics of the priest, but I'll uh, talk about some other stuff as well, I think. Uh, but yeah, in case you forgot from 20 minutes ago, Leviticus 6, 1 through 2, uh, Adonai said to Moshe, give this order to Aaron and his sons. This is the law for the burnt offering. It is what goes up on its firewood upon the altar all night long until morning. In this way, the fire of the altar will be kept burning. So again, yeah, this covers the priestly laws of the sacrificial services. Uh, it goes into details about those sacrifices and offerings, uh, you know, and a lot of which were introduced in the last uh, portion last week. Uh, but again, it's, it's a manual for the priests. It's very specific to them uh, and what they needed to do. So the Lord commanded the priests to offer a daily burnt offering of two lambs. Uh, you know, they offered one in the morning and one later in the day towards the evening. So uh, that seemed pretty simple. Uh, I have some numbers on that later, though, so I get excited about stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, second lamb they offered in the afternoon at the conclusion of the day sacrifices, and they kept that burnt offering going all the time. So, you know, like the continual burnt offering in the sanctuary and on earth, the sacrifice of Yeshua, let's remember Yeshua, rises continually before the Father in the heavenly sanctuary. The earthly sanctuary has been repeatedly interrupted, right? We're in the midst of an interruption right now. There is, there is no earthly physical sanctuary uh, that you could go to uh, make an offering. Uh, the priests uh, can't do it. Um, and, you know, it's war, it's disobedience, uh, it's politics, Right? I'm pretty sure we know where to build the temple back, but, you know, politics is kind of preventing that. But even when the sanctuary was intact, if you think about it, there were times where the Father rejected the sacrifices, right, because people's hearts weren't right. So, yeah, they were doing the thing. They were uh, doing it, but it, it really meant nothing to the Father because their heart wasn't right. Of course, and again, think about Yeshua, though. In his perfection, the Lamb of God perpetually occupies the heavenly altar and, uh, and his, his sacrifice never expires. So that's good, right? So it's like, man, we can't get our stuff together down here on earth, but we have a Savior who is per perfect in every way, and he is perpetually offering that atoning sacrifice. Uh, Hebrews 9, verse 25 through 26 speaks to that. Further, he did not enter heaven to offer himself over and over again, like the Kohen Hagadol, who enters the holiest place year after year with blood that is not his own. Uh, for then he would have had to suffer death many times from the founding of the universe on. 
But, but as it is, he has appeared once at the end of the ages in order to do away with sin through the sacrifice of himself. Praise God. Um, the Hebrew word for burnt offering is uh, olah, uh, or olah, literally means ascending or going up. Uh, this word alludes to the Messiah, uh, who will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Uh, Isaiah 52, 13. See how my servant will succeed. He will be raised up, exalted, highly honored. And then uh, John twelve thirty two. As for me, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Yeshua said, if I am lifted up from earth, I will draw all men to myself. He was lifted to the cross. He was uh, lifted from the grave. And he was lifted from the earth. And again, he's seated at the right hand of God uh, in glory. Uh, Philippians 2, uh, 9. Therefore God raised him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Uh, God highly exalted him. Uh, so, again, we say this all the time. Well, there's no, there's no altar here on earth now. Uh, but the, the Bible does speak about it in, in times to come. So Leviticus 6, 5, uh, I guess it talks about Hey, it's a perpetual thing, uh, including into the future. Uh, in this way, the fire on the altar will be kept burning and not be allowed to go out. Each morning, the Kohen is to kindle wood on it, arrange the burnt offerings, and make the fat of the peace offerings go up in smoke. So the, to- the Torah commands, commands it. Uh, again, fresh wood, stoke the fire every morning. You've got to take the, the old ashes out first. Um, things like that. Uh, this week's uh, Torah study was really neat, too. I, I, I would have rather just stolen everything Lancaster said from there and, and just used that. But, uh, but a little bit of research on the Internet, and you can't trust the Internet always, but I'm like, well, how? We have the tabernacle in the desert, right? And then we have the first temple. Then we have the second temple. Uh, how, how long was the temple actually in use? And... Uh, Again, feel free to fact check me, but as best, best I can tell, the tabernacle or the Mishkan in the desert represented 440 years, which is a long time. Uh, the, the first temple, you know, Solomon's temple, lasted 410 years, also a long time. The second temple, in all its forms, uh, lasted 585 years. I kind of feel 585 right now, but I know that's that's a long. It's you can't really comprehend that amount of time, right? We can't. So altogether, uh, you take those three distinct time periods. That's 1,435 years, a very long time. But in uh, if you think of the biblical calendar and Jewish thought, how long has the Earth been around? Well, 5,783 years, 5783. And again, double-check my math, but roughly, that gives us 4,348 years without a temple, without a mishkan, without anything. And we're, again, in in the midst of one of those periods. And just for fun, that's uh, basically 75% of the time there has been no temple. Uh, So that 1,435 years, that is... 523,775 days, a lot of days. So where I'm going with this is not that you need to memorize this, and you, you guys know my weirdness about putting numbers to things, but it helps me to sort of visualize and imagine 
what's happening, what it represents, because it's really kind of all theoretical to us, right? Uh, and it's hard to just understand something theoretical. So when I put these numbers, uh, remember the showbread, 12 loaves a week. Uh, over the course of the 500,000 days that the temple was in use in some form, that's uh, just shy of 900,000 loaves of unleavened bread. Uh, remember, there's two lambs a day, seven days a week. Even the temple service, right? Uh, you have your... Uh-oh. I almost went flying. You have your, you know, your, your Sabbath, but the temple superseded the Sabbath rules as far as work and all that, right? Even on Saturday, they're going to pull, pull the ashes out. They're going to put fresh wood. They're going to sacrifice a lamb uh, in the morning and uh, later in the day. So that's two a day for 500-some thousand, thousand days. That's 1,047,550 sacrificial lambs just for the daily sacrifice. So just a little bread, a couple lambs. That's just the, the sort of baseline. It doesn't, don't even take into account all the other sacrifices. So that helps me. I know it's not as exciting for you, but I understand that perfectly. Uh, so that's a lot of lambs. So does God just like a good barbecue? Is that why he wants all these lambs? I mean, maybe. It's a pleasing aroma. It's okay, sweetie. So, it's not, well, again, maybe the father doesn't like just a good barbecue, so what's the point? So all of the sacrifices and offerings, uh, in a way, are best understood as ritual gifts given to God, uh, by which the worshiper was able to draw near to the Lord in his holy place. So, you know, those sacrifices uh, represented a pure and contrite heart. It represented the sincere desire to draw near to the Father. So there's, I won't claim to perfectly understand all the sacrifices, but we're getting into the water and we're going to do the best we can, right? So I wanted to talk, there's roughly five different sort of categories of sacrifices. And no one's asleep, that's amazing, that's great. Keep up the good work, guys. So the first one is the burnt offering of the Olah, uh, that which rises. So in, in, the, in that style of sacrifice, the animal is completely burned up. Uh, the person that gave it didn't receive anything in return. They didn't get to keep any of it. And it represented a complete and total surrender to God. He brought it because he wanted to draw near to God. That's the point of it, right? It's not to bribe God. It's not to curry favor with God. It's just like, I love you. I want to be close to you, right? Uh, you have grain offerings. The mincha, it's a gift or tribute. Uh, it's flour, oil, and frankincense. And notice there's no blood involved, by the way. You know, it's just flour and oil. Uh, you have peace offerings, the shalomim. Uh, it's related to the word shalom. Like the burnt offering and the grain offering, worshipers brought peace offerings voluntarily. Uh, and there's lots of different uh, peace offerings. Thanksgiving offerings, votive offerings, free will offerings. Uh, Passover lambs were an example of a peace offering. Uh, they were sacrifices that the one bringing it would eat uh, except for the choice fats that were burned on the altar, and a portion was given to the priest. And in a way, it symbolized a shared meal between the worshiper, uh, the person that brought the sacrifice, the priesthood, and God himself. 
Uh, sin offerings. Finally, some sin, right? That's when you think of the sacrifices. You think of sin, sin, sin. Well, even this might throw you for a loop. Uh, hatat, uh, sin. Uh, yeah, hata is sin. Uh, the sin offering brought, was brought when someone sins unintentionally. Uh, depending on who you were, too, uh, on your means, that would, would uh, you know, change what you might bring for a sacrifice. So a bull uh, is sort of the, the most expensive uh, one, but it, it goes on down to doves and flour, and it was available for anyone. So it was kind of the, I, I, when I read it, I think, it doesn't matter your station in life. The Father has something that, that you can bring as a sin offering. But again, when, if you bring a flower offering as an unintentional sin offering, where's the blood? There's no blood in the flower. So, so, and there were also times uh, when you'd bring a sin offering even though you hadn't sinned. Uh, one example is after childbirth. Uh, that's in Leviticus 12.6. I don't have a slide for that. Uh, or if you run, if you happen to be a leper, right? Uh, that's in Leviticus 14.19. And if you were cleansed from leprosy, a, uh, if you had taken a Nazarite vow, but you came in contact with the corpse, uh, number 6.11 says, hey, bring a sin offering. Also, a Nazarite who had completed the term of his vow and uh, if you'll remember, Paul, Shaul, uh, he completed a Nazarite vow, and he would have given a burnt offering, a peace offering, and a sin offering as part of this vow. Not because he had done anything wrong. That was what you were supposed to do. Uh, he also paid, uh, if you remember, for the expenses of four other men who had taken the Nazarite vow to show that he was not teaching against the law, right? That was the rumor that Paul was teaching against Torah and saying, hey, it's all done away with. And he's like, I never said that. And they said, well, prove it to the people locally. You, you've got a vow you've made. You're going to go to the temple. You're going to offer these sacrifices. There's four other guys that took the same vow about the same time, so you all go together. Uh, we read about that in Acts 21. Uh, they tell Paul, take them with you. Be purified with them and pay the expenses connected with having their heads shaved. Now, by the way, all those uh, sacrifices cost something too, right? You know, he had to, to actually put some skin in the game. Uh, then everyone will know that there is nothing to these rumors which they have heard about you, but that on the contrary, you yourself stay in line and keep the Torah. So uh, another uh, type of offering is the uh, guilt offering or a sham. And essentially, a sham implies reparation or restitution. You've somehow harmed someone. Uh, heaven forbid I back into a car when we get ready to leave today. You know what? I can't just drive off. I've got to make it right, you know? Um, so the, uh, if you do someone harm, you have to pay back the original amount plus one-fifth, which is 20%, and bring a guilt offering. So you're going to make it right with the person that you've harmed, and then you're going to bring an offering to Hashem as well. Of course, all this came to a screeching halt in the year 70 uh, when the Romans destroyed the temple. But according to Jewish thought, Maimonides or Rambam, uh, which is, uh, you know, I guess you could say a famous sage, a well-known sage, and, and by the way, if, if that makes you feel funny, uh, 
I, I looked this up. Billy Graham wrote 33 books in his life. And uh, I'm pretty sure he was talking about God and the Bible and giving his thoughts on it. And so just try to see it that way. You're, you're, you're taking a, a godly man or a godly woman. You're reading their thoughts. They're talking about God. Um, you know, the, these, these uh, folks, even if you don't agree with every little thing, if you say, well, we have new information or we have a better understanding of this, it doesn't mean everything they ever said was just, you know, annulled. So, um, let's see. So, the point is, don't get too excited when you hear, you know, me quote a sage. Uh, the truth is the truth. Uh, and it's good to think about and uh, delve into Jewish thought, uh, about Jewish scriptures, and, uh, you know, it was written by Jewish men. So, you know, it's good to, good to think about what they're saying. So, yeah, Rambam, uh, he had some thoughts about Messiah and the sacrifices. And he says, In the future, King Messiah will arise and restore the kingdom of David to its former glory. Dare I say, better than its former glory. I'd say he's right about that. Uh, he will rebuild the holy temple and gather the dispersed of Israel. In his times, and we understand the Messianic era is, is how I interpret that, all the laws of the Torah will be reinstated as before, including the sacrifices and the continual burnt offering. So when all this comes about, uh, these are my words, and the smoke again will rise from the altar. So, was Rambam just pulling this out of his hat and making a flowery speech and trying to make things sound good? Uh, well, there, are, there really no. It's from the scriptures. Uh, one scripture that speaks about the location of the future temple. Well, why would you talk about the location if it wasn't going to be around? Well, uh, Isaiah 2, uh, 2 and 3. In, in the Akarit Hayamim, in the, in the last days, uh, the mountain of Adonai's house will be established as the most important mountain and it will be regarded more highly than other hills, and all the goyim, or the nations, will stream there. That would be me. Many peoples will go and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of Adonai, to the house of God of Yaakov. He will teach us about his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion will go forth Torah, the word of Adonai from Yerushalayim. Another scripture, it says, you know, again, it's not a theoretical sanctuary. It's a physical sanctuary. Ezekiel 37, I will make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant. I will give it to them, increase their numbers, and set my sanctuary among them for how long? Forever. In all, the book of Ezekiel dedicates basically eight chapters to the future temple and the specific services in that temple. Uh, Jeremiah 33, uh, it predicted just as the Lord will not break his covenant with David, he's not going to break his covenant with the Aaronic priesthood. Uh, verse 18, Nor will there ever be cut off from the Kohanim, who are Levaim, a man before me, to offer burnt offerings, burn grain offerings, and offer sacrifices every day. You know, Yeshua is our high priest, but he's not, he's not from the tribe of Levi. Right? So these are, this is speaking specifically to... Uh, people from the Aaronic line and from the tribe of Levi. Uh, the altar uh, will stand upon the exact location where it stood during the days of the temple. Of course, we know there's, there's controversy about everything. Uh, some people say, well, no, really, it's here. 
No, really, it's there. Uh, but anyway, uh, Jewish law forbids relocating the altar. Uh, so this is why it can't be rebuilt as long as the, the, the Temple Mount is in the hands of the nations. You know, it can't be built. Uh, tradition says that David and Solomon built the altar on the exact spot where Abraham bound Isaac and offered him before the Lord. And also that Noah sacrificed on that same location when he left the ark. Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices at that altar, and Adam offered his first sacrifice at the location. In fact, God created Adam from earth. He scooped up from that same spot. The sages say that man was formed from the place of his atonement. So, were we there to see all that? No, we weren't there. But there's a strong tradition. The, the, the place that God will choose, Jerusalem, is really important. It's not just any average city. Um, so, again, currently we can't bring a sacrifice to the temple, if you, even if you wanted to. And even if the Father asked you to, uh, there's a scripture that we really need to apply. right? Let's say, theoretically, you could bring an offering. Um, uh, you know, we need to, before we would bring a sacrifice, we've got to apply these things, uh, you know, uh, what we can do now, which is our time, our money, our prayers, our hearts. Uh, but before we bring our time, money, prayers, and hearts, uh, Psalm 51, what's it say? It says, my sacrifice to God is a broken spirit. God, you won't spurn a broken, chastened heart. And in verse 21, it says, then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings, then they will offer bulls on my altar. Uh, yeah, again, this, this week's Torah study, I, if I heard it right, uh, Lancaster was talking about order of preference. When God says, hey, I want your heart to be right, he does want your heart to be right. That's the most important thing. But he, he doesn't say, get your heart right and ignore everything else, right? He said, get your heart right, then you can bring your sacrifice. So, but uh, again, the reality is, is we can't bring a physical sacrifice to the temple today. But in closing, a uh, verse in Ephesians, uh, it's a good reminder that Yeshua really did give it all. And again, I like to kind of visualize, Yeshua gave far more than what 1,400 years of sacrifice could bring. Uh, more than a million, he, he brought more than what a million lambs could bring, more than a, almost a million loaves of, of bread could bring. So what do they tell us to do? Ephesians 5, uh, what are we going to do? So imitate God as his dear children and live a life of love just as also the Messiah loved us. Indeed, on our behalf, gave himself up as an offering, as a slaughtered sacrifice to God with the pleasing fragrance. And that's my message for today. Thank you for your attention. I know it's a lot of sort of details to go into, but hopefully it helped us visualize a little bit of what's happening. And I'll say uh, Shabbat Shalom. Again, thanks for joining us for the Bates I Eat Messages podcast. This podcast is an extension of Bates I Eat Messianic Congregation a group of Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah, currently meeting in Verona, Virginia. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review, along with a five-star rating, or give us a thumbs up, wherever you're listening from. If you're interested in learning more about the Creator and His Word from a Messianic Jewish perspective, 
Check out our website at BatesIE.org for helpful resources and more information. Until next time, Shalom.